This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome to Tuesday's episode, everybody. If you hear somebody cutting freaking bricks in the background, that's because they are. We are doing a stone patio in the backyard, and it is not conducive to also podcasting. So like you have to pick one or the other. Do you want your yard to be landscaped or do you want to be able to podcast? Anyways, whatever. I have a sinus infection or what is starting to be a sinus infection and I'm not happy about it. That's maybe why I sound like I'm underwater. I swear Milo was just a slight teeny tiny bit congested on Monday morning and I was like oh but he was totally fine after he woke up and had breakfast and stuff and so I thought it was nothing and every time he brings home even the smallest germ I will get it I will get a cold worse than everybody else and I will then get a sinus infection without fail and it's not fair I was complaining to my husband yesterday like I'm the one that freaking like eats healthy and is taking vitamins and is so concerned. And I'm always the one that gets it the worst. My husband rarely gets sick, but honestly, he's worked in hospitals his whole life. So his immune system is probably much better than mine. I sat at home and wrote papers on my laptop. So have not been as exposed to things as he has. And I honestly manifested getting sick. Like, yesterday, I'm recording this on Wednesday, and yesterday, I believe it was, or Monday, I was like, oh, I'm preparing because I just feel like we're all going to get sick, and kids have had runny noses, and lo and behold, I am now sick. So it's my fault. Anyways, so excited to share this episode with you. It was an in-person episode, which I love doing. Still trying to work out tweaks with regard to sound and getting the videos up on YouTube, but I love it. It's a lot of work, but I love it. Today, I'm speaking with Annalise Lawton. She is an author. She is the mother to three little kids. I went to her house to set up and record and literally get everything set up and it takes a while and I don't have my freaking SD cards. Like, what kind of operation are you running here? I could not believe it. Anyways, I ran, I didn't run, I drove to Best Buy, grabbed SD cards, they are not cheap, drove back, we recorded it, I made it just in time to pick up Milo from school. So we did it, we did it. Annalise is the author of a book that is now out. It is called Welcome to the Jungle, A Frantic Journey of Motherhood and Self-Discovery. And what I did in this episode, I wanted to ask her about specific things that she wrote about in the book. So that's really what we go over. There's a heartbreaking story about her getting past a note in class when she was 13 that said, nobody likes you. And And we talk about how that affected her, how her first love at 17 affected her. We just get into all the things. We we talk about MLM. Every time I say MLM, I think about stats, like multi-level modeling. 
but that's not what it is. It's multi-level marketing. But if you're a stats nerd, it's multi-level modeling. You're like modeling the data. Anyways, in her book, she pinpoints the moments in her life where she truly lost herself and comes to understand the power motherhood holds in finally being found. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it after the stress of the SD cards was over. So without further ado, please welcome Annalise Lawton to The Mom Room. Welcome. Thank this you. This is so fun. First of all, thank you for having me over to your house. Yeah. Um, Thanks for being here. Just for people listening, we were trying to find a place to record. I couldn't find a place. Why do these places not exist? I don't know. But anyways. I think there's a business opportunity there. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And so we randomly had landscapers start because you were going to come to my house. Mm-hmm. I was like, perfect. Like I have at least one, you know, light set up and everything. But no, you were like, come over here. Yeah. And this is actually beautiful. Like, look Thank how perfect you. it turned out. Yeah. Well, no one else can see the rest of it. But this, <laughs> this little wall is doing it. So good we made this wall very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, and I wore a matching shirt. So awesome. My first question was going to be, and this always ends up being my first question for people because I'm like, oh shit, I didn't figure out how to pronounce their name or like what I should call them. So your name is Annalise. Annalise, yeah. Annalise. Yeah. Never heard that name before. Thank you. It's I German. love it. Thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. German. And so you said you can call me Annie. Yes. So is that what people call you? That's what people in my circle call me. So okay. I feel like we, you're, you're in my house. We can... I know. Yeah. I figured it was either Anne or Annie, so... I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I hate when people call me Anne. Anne? Okay. Anne Hathaway, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But it feels like a name that is short for something. It's too classy for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The first question I usually ask people that are moms on the podcast is what your transition into motherhood was like. Because I know for me, I was like most people preparing for labor, delivery. That was like, you know, I bought all the stuff that people said to buy. Yeah. But then once I actually had Milo, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. so what was your transition? Were you kind of like me? Like, oh, it was a gong show. It was, it was really hard. I didn't have a good pregnancy. It was high risk and complicated. And so that threw me off. And then I remember reading what to expect when you're expecting. So did I. And going through the chapters. And I remember getting to like the postpartum, like the very small postpartum chapter. And it's like, you're going to bleed out of your vagina. And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) No one had told me that happened. Okay. I don't, maybe I'm just totally naive, but I thought if I didn't read this, I would not have known that I was going to have like, is that what it's called? Like that was all new information to me. So that was a bit surprising that you have to go through all of that after having a baby. Not to mention the fact that, like, my kid didn't sleep, my kid didn't latch. Like, all of that was cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. So, yeah. How old are you? You have two kids? I have three. Three? I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And ages? Six, four and a half, and just turned two. And just turned two. Yeah. So, like, all the ages. Yeah. So, my boys are a little less than 17 months apart. And then my daughter came two and a half years after my second. Okay. And so... During the day, I'm just curious, like, where are they right now? So, like, school? Yeah, so the older two are grade one in JK, and then my daughter is in um, a home daycare. 
Nice. Yeah. Okay. So you sent me your book. We'll just let everybody know. So she wrote a book, yeah. which one day I hope to write a book. Like that's incredible. So yeah. congrats Thank on that. Thank you. <laughs> and it comes out soon, right? October 1st. Okay. I just approved the print last night. So it went to print last night initially. <gasps> so it's like. It's happening. Being printed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it's, exciting. Yeah, I'm nervous. <laughs> so tell us what the title of the book is because I love it. Okay. Thank you. So it's called Welcome to the Jungle. A Frantic Journey Through Motherhood and Self-Discovery. And my first question is, when did you even get the idea to, like, I'm going to write a book about mm -hmm. my experience. So I skimmed through the book because you sent me an electronic copy. Yeah. Thank you. There was a part in there about someone in your family not being supportive of you sharing kind of vulnerable things, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So... That was before you decided to write the book. That was before. Okay. Correct. So did you find it difficult to have someone that was close to you not being supportive and like still continue on? This person was an in-law. So that makes it hard when you're trying to be accepted by somebody else's family. I think my own parents, who are very supportive now that they've seen where this has gone, <laughs> um, were initially like, this doesn't really make sense to us why you're doing this. So there are many times that I've had hard conversations with family about why I feel called to talk about postpartum depression and motherhood and all of that sort of stuff. And having to like validate and make reason, like just validate why I'm doing it has been a little bit annoying because mm -hmm. like who cares why I'm doing it? If it makes me happy, what does it matter? I, I have walked away many times and stopped writing, but then something always happens in my life that brings me back to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where did it all start? You started blogging or? Yeah. yeah so my husband and I announced our pregnancy, like most people do at 12 weeks with our firstborn. And then two days after that ultrasound, we got a call saying that uh, they found abnormalities on our baby's scan. So he had soft markers for Down syndrome. He also had a rare buildup of fluid in his brain. So we were transferred into care at MAC, placed with like the genetics team, high risk OBGYN. We went through uh, like 16 weeks of testing. And I got really sick and tired of everyone coming up to me because, like, here's this pregnant lady, first baby, and everyone's like, are you so excited to meet your baby? Like, you must be so excited. How's the nursery? What's the theme? And we were being, like, behind closed doors having these conversations that our baby may not survive. So I went on Facebook and I wrote a post and I said, I'm going to keep everybody in the loop with what's happening here. This is mm. where you can direct your questions. I don't want to be retelling the story over and over again. It's too painful. And that's kind of where the blog started. Mm. Yeah. And it's almost like the start of the narrative that like, oh my God, sunshine and rainbows. Like, yeah. how's the nursery? How's this? And it's like, no, like there's hard shit going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was one of the first ones that was pregnant in my friend group. Like I got pregnant after I got, I was 26, which like now I'm like, holy shit, that's so young. I was 34. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I feel like that was so, I had my last one when I was 30. But even then, like it just, 26 seems so young. And to be 26 and having this like high risk pregnancy, we got pregnant a month after we got married. So it was very fresh into our marriage. It was all really hard and lonely. And like the best I could do was write about it. 
So like me, I'm sure lots of people who went through a high-risk pregnancy or were in a similar situation, like they were so thankful that you were putting out your story. Yeah. I always get feedback like that, like, oh, you make me feel so normal and like validated and blah, blah, blah. But I always find the reverse too. Like I'm just a person talking about these things that I'm experiencing or have experienced And at the same time, like when I see people comment on my stuff or in my DMs that are like, me too, like I, the exact same thing, like I totally understand what you're saying, like that makes me feel good too. So did you have that? Because I feel like that's why people continue to share. Yeah. Because it's like a two-way beneficial thing. It really is. And I think I found it really hard to bond with anybody who had a typical pregnancy. I don't know if... I don't know if I'd call it jealousy, but I was on Reddit. Like I I joined one of the Reddit baby bump subreddits. And I remember being in like the trying to conceive subreddit and going through that and getting really excited and then like graduating to the baby bump Reddit. And then I would watch people posting about their babies being born. Mm -hmm. And I had to leave because I was like, I don't, I don't know if my baby's going to be born alive. And being able to find other people who I could share like so honestly about those feelings helped me so much because there was nobody in my personal circle that understood. So Mm -hmm. I had to put it out there to find people that did. What happened after that scan? Was it just continuous testing throughout? Yeah. So we did the amniocentesis, which was a really difficult decision for me to make. Being raised Catholic and them saying like the doctor saying there's a one in 200 risk of a Mm. miscarriage and having to be the mom in that situation. And my husband being like, no, I want the amniocentesis. Like we need to know. And then on the other hand, I'm like, I'm the mom. I make the final decision. If this doesn't end well, it's my fault. And like, that's just how I felt, which isn't true. I know that now, but we ended up deciding to go through with the amnio because the doctor told me if they found something that could save his life, like if there was something there that could save his life, we would figure it out through the testing there were issues with culturing and it took eight weeks for the amnio to come back. And then mm. they said, everything is fine with like the genetics side of things. They did another brain scan and the fluid was gone. And like he ended up being born a healthy little boy. Now he's been diagnosed with ADHD, which they say isn't related mm. to those complications, but it was like the worst experience of my life. I didn't want to have any more kids after that. And And I did. Yeah, you did. (laughs) So when you were sharing all of this stuff, was the narrative from some family members or that family member, like, this is private stuff? Like, we don't share this? Yeah. Yeah. And my mom, (laughs) she is always worried that there's someone out there that doesn't want the best outcome for people. Like, she just, I don't know. So she's like, just be careful what you put out there. Like, you don't know if there's somebody who's not doesn't have your best interest at heart you know um the Italians right and uh, well I think it's like as a mom like you see your child going through something difficult and while it's nice to share the story and you know have people that are going through similar things and like connect with people at the same time they're just concerned I know yeah Yeah. and and like my parents were having to deal with their own emotions through this because it's their first grandchild. They're watching their daughter struggle immensely. Their hands are tied. Like you don't want to watch your kid go through something like that. I think it was just hard 
all around for everybody. And so you continued blogging. Yeah. When did the idea to write a book come into play? Yeah. So eight months after I had my oldest son, Jack, I gave my husband a birthday present and got pregnant with Max, my second. So I was eight months postpartum when I got pregnant. Oh my God. Um, It was two days after my period had ended. So I thought like, you know, but I have PCOS, so I ovulate at wonky times. And I guess that's what happened. And I remember finding out I was pregnant and I was just like, I can't do this. Like I can't. Had you had a difficult postpartum. I think you talk oh, a yeah. lot about mental health. Yeah. And- so I I think because of everything I went through in the pregnancy, I put up this wall and then Jack didn't latch. And one of the things like kind of the main thing or premise of my book is that as women, we're like built up our entire lives to believe that motherhood's going to be the one sole thing in life that fulfills us. And then you get there and it's not fulfilling. And it could even be the opposite. Yeah. And you have like all of these insecurities from all of the shit you've gone through in your life, whether it's through friends or relationships and all that sort of stuff. And you're not fulfilled. And you're like, it's me. Like, it's always been me. I've never been pretty enough. I've never been good enough. I've never worked hard enough. Like, so you blame yourself, but it's motherhood is not supposed to be fulfilling. Motherhood is supposed to be hard. Mm -hmm. So I struggled with that, not feeling fulfilled and feeling depressed and blaming myself. And then got pregnant again when I was not in a good headspace and I struggled with like really bad perinatal depression. So during pregnancy? During pregnancy. It was like life-threatening and during that time I got diagnosed with a tumor wrapped around my facial nerves that it was a really rare tumor. It got caught by accident and they said either the whole tumor would come out and my face would like the whole right side of my face would be paralyzed because that's how like intertwined it was with the nerves or they would save the nerves. I would go through radiation and I'd never be able to have another baby. Everything obviously turned out okay. But like that to be. This is when you were pregnant with your second. This is when I was pregnant with my second. Like, can we just have a non brutally like stressful pregnancy. Well, and I think the stress of all of that sent me into threatened preterm labor at 30 weeks. So I was 80% dilated and 30% effaced, contracting. My baby was breached and his bum went down right in my cervix. And I was taken by an ambulance to Sunnybrook Hospital because they thought I was going to deliver him. And they're like, there isn't a hospital around that can take a baby this tiny in Mm -hmm. this area. Um, so it was, again, like another very stressful, traumatic yeah. pregnancy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so while this is all happening, you're documenting it. Documenting Like in it. writing. Yeah. Putting it up there. Yeah. So where the book kind of comes into play is after Max was born, after I had the tumor removed, after all of that happened, Max was a C-section. I remember sitting there after my prodactomy and my surgeon was calling me like, like a few days later to check in on me. I had a post-op care nurse come to the house to like take care of my incision, change the dressings. And then after I had my C-section, it was literally like, okay, here's a mom with two kids under a year and a half apart. Mm. Like suicidal ideations, C-section, has a baby, kick her out of the hospital after three days and send her home. And post-op. And post-op. Like um, C-sections are a major fucking surgery. Yeah. Um, and the difference in care was like, I, did, I couldn't understand it. So I wrote a post about it and it was shared 6 million times. 
it was like, what was your platform of like a website? Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. I microblog on Facebook and it just like, I remember I like hit, like I wrote it out so quickly. It was always when something goes viral. Yeah. You're like, fuck this. You're just like, I was like passionately just (laughs) like pissed off typing away, put my phone down and it was like, ding, 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 like craziness. And I opened it and it was blowing up. One of my husband's best friends is a doctor in Portland in the States. And he was like, it's circulating through our hospital. Like, wow. like even doctors were reading it. It was crazy. It was and really surreal. the theme of it was about aftercare first. Maternal mental health maternal and aftercare and how moms are literally like, I wrote, I was sent home with, a, with stool softeners and that was basically it. And some people were like, we didn't even get stool softeners. Where do you live? What <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a luxury. Yeah. But the other thing that pissed me off was the people that were like, just use a midwife. Midwives are phenomenal. And I was like, okay, I'm really happy for you. But when you have a high-risk pregnancy, you, you don't can. get a midwife. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm married 
to a physician. Yeah. And not everyone is comfortable going the midwife route. And yeah. And this is no, like, I love midwives. I love the whole idea of it. I think everyone that gives birth should have that kind of experience. I agree. But anyways, not everyone that goes with a midwife has a nice outcome, you know? And I think because if someone's complaining about something that happened in a medical hospital, it's always the people that had went to a midwife and had a good experience. That's like, you have to go to a midwife. And it's like, I have friends that were with really great midwives and it didn't turn out well at all. But I even have friends who gave birth in a hospital and their babies flatlined when they were born. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't in that, like this could go in a whole other direction, but you know what I mean? Like Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And yes, there's also the people that you see on Instagram who like give birth out in the ocean. Yeah. I literally <laughs> saw that. And there's, I was like, yeah, not for me, but that's yeah. freaking cool for I, you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine giving birth now with the epidural shortage. Like I would not survive. Oh, is that a thing? I didn't know. Did you? Ontario has an epidural shortage right now. No, I did not hear about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those so are, yeah. beware. But yeah, like I, doulas, midwives, wonderful. Also, a I wish I wish we had the option because in Ontario and I don't people listen all over the place to this podcast, but in Ontario, as of right now, I think you have to choose. You have to choose. You only get one. It's not going to be paid for. And some people listening are like, we don't have anything paid for. But here, because it's free healthcare, it's like you have to choose to go the OBGYN route yeah. or the midwife route, which is not fair because it puts people in a position to choose like, do I want, you know, to be medically like supervised? And I don't know the whole difference is like, don't come at me. Oh my God. But I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not you. Yeah. I mean like listeners. Yeah. But it's like, we shouldn't have to choose. We should have yeah. the ability to have physicians and have like the home care and all that exactly. stuff. Exactly. And yeah. that was my point is that like people who have a midwife have six weeks minimum of somebody who genuinely cares about their interests and the baby. You have a relationship with them. You have a relationship with that person. You're texting them throughout their pregnancy. You have a direct line of communication. Mm -hmm. My post-op, like eight weeks after I had my C-section was when I saw my OB. And I will tell you if that happened during the pandemic, that would have been a phone call conversation because I had a baby during a pandemic and that's what happened. It was a phone call. Mm -hmm. And like, that's bullshit. Do you follow GroCo, Dr. Ali Kane? Anyways, yeah. she always makes this comparison of like the aftercare for someone if they sprain their ankle versus the aftercare of a C-section. Yeah. And it's like Looney Tunes. It is. Yeah. I don't under it's such a major surgery. And imagine not having a partner, mm-hmm. not having someone there to take care of you. Like my husband literally had to take my bloody diaper off and put another one back on me because I couldn't bend down and do it myself. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, there you go. Have fun. I know. Right. And I think a lot of people get into the mindset of because it's something that happens so frequently and it's common that it's okay and it's normal. And it's like, no, no, it's not. Like, I feel like a hundred years from now, we're going to look back on what the postpartum situation was. Yeah. And people are just going to be like, as if. I know. It's insanity. I feel like my husband had better follow-up care with his vasectomy. 
Like, oh, <laughs> guaranteed. And my husband could speak to this because yeah. he does vasectomies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Like, yeah. definitely. So after that post goes extremely viral, did somebody approach you to write a book or were you like, I'm no. going to write a book? That's when I decided to write a book. I was like, I was like, there is something here that is resonating with people. And the stuff I had been through was hard and heavy. And I don't believe bad things happen to people for a reason. Mm -hmm. But I did believe that I needed to make it a purpose if I was going to survive what I had been through. So you have a third child. When did, how long did the book process take? So I started writing the book at the end, like just after my surgery at the end of 2018. My father-in-law unexpectedly passed away at the beginning of 2019. Mm. And our life kind of just got all discombobulated again. And I put the book to the side. And then I found out I was pregnant with my daughter that October. And I was like, okay, there's still more stuff here. Like I can't finish the book without figuring out who this person is. And uh, also like, what's going to happen this pregnancy? Like a pandemic. Oh, uh, yeah. I caused the pandemic. So exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Everyone. And yeah, I was like, I have to figure out what this is like, what this is going to be like. And then she was born, went through the pandemic. I started pitching publishers this January. It got picked up quite quickly. Mm. And in less than a year now, it's going to be like everywhere. A copy, yeah. a book, like a physical book. I know. On my bookshelf. It's cuckoo. Collect all my books. Yeah. (laughs) So one thing I wanted to ask you about that I read in the book. So the overarching theme of the book is how we are slowly, because, well, we had talked about this before and you were saying when people become moms, they think that it's motherhood that kind of prompts this like loss of identity, but you're kind of pointing to the fact that it's actually something that is being picked at throughout our entire lives. Yeah. So you had a really heartbreaking story. And it's so funny because as an adult that has a child, reading that chapter about the note that was passed to you, you were 13. 13, yeah. If... I was a 13-year-old and my friend got passed a note that said that. I would not even think that it was a big deal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like something that happens, like whatever, I'm going to go play basketball now. Yeah. Um, reading it now, like my heart like breaks. Yeah. And can you just tell the story of that note in class and kind of how it started that yeah. process? So. 13, grade eight math. I remember I had just moved to a new school, so I didn't have a ton of friends. I was shy and awkward and like still played with dolls, like very innocent, which is what I hope my kids to be kind of. And I remember this note was like passing through the class and I was getting really excited because it was coming to my desk and I opened the note and it was from my friend, like one of the very few friends I had. And it said, nobody likes you. And I just remember, like, my heart sank. I ran to the bathroom and I cried. And it was, like, one of the first times that I realized that not everybody was going to like me, that I didn't live up to the expectations of others. Like, it just became a thing. And then that kind of started the bullying. Like, I remember kids would chase me home from school and spit on me. And I remember, like, pizza lunch, which is amazing. Someone's spat on a piece of my pizza that I got so I didn't get to eat it. And 
someone wrote Annie's a dirtbag and had it on his pencil case. Like it just, it was a really hard period in my life and completely stripped away my self-esteem. And I don't think I've ever fully gained it back. Do you remember telling your parents about any of this? My dad kept the note. He still has it. Oh. Because I brought it home. My dad has it in like a folder. The man, don't piss off Rick. Like he, <laughs> the man has it in like a little folder. He's like, and I'm like, coming for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you did. You were yeah. open with your parents. I was that. open with my parents because they ended up having to be called into school because there were death threats mm. made against me like, at what? one point. Yeah. And the police had gotten involved. Like it was a really bad bullying experience and things were different then. Like I was taken out of class. This this might, this is going to sound bizarre. I was taken out of class and placed in a club with children who had Down syndrome. So that's where they sent me. In a way to keep you safe from To keep me, I guess, like occupied. Like it was like supposed to be a form of therapy for me. So I would go with kids like with this the I forget what they're called like this the student counselor or whatever Mm -hmm. we would go it would be me and the children with down syndrome would go to pizza lunch and like it ended up being like a very blessed experience Mm -hmm. for me but I just imagine what like the other kids thought as this girl who they're making fun of is being removed and like going to the movies with like it just it was yeah odd situation yeah it was an odd that's how they dealt with it when I was yeah which, like, I can't imagine that happening today. Yeah. So as a mom, you have gone through that experience. Do you worry about something similar happening to your own kids? It's funny because my worry is the opposite. I worry about my kids being bullies. Interesting. I'm very hypersensitive about my kids treating other kids incredibly nicely and being inclusive and kind. Okay. Yeah. So it's like the flip. I never yeah. thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. I know I like I obviously worry about them being teased, but I more so want them to be like kind to everybody. I never like daycare was one thing and preschool fine. When Milo started kindergarten, which was just a couple weeks ago, like all of a sudden I was like, he's at a bigger school. Like there's kids that are older because they have the junior and the senior kindergartens yeah. together like on the bus, like there's older kids. I just like, I had this fear that like, he's this happy, like perfect little kid. And now he's going into like the big school and his school is tiny (laughs) compared to most. But like, I was so worried about like, is he gonna like be with like his friends and are they gonna like ostracize him or like make fun of him or like, yeah. I know it's, it's definitely... I think all parents have that worry. Yeah. I know. You don't want, you can only keep them safe for so I long. Know. And then they are sent off on their own and they have to learn their own lessons and experiences. And like, we don't want them to go through that, but they also won't become better, kinder people if they don't learn and grow through those experiences. So it's like a really difficult yeah. place to be, right? It's yeah. like, you can see both sides, but you're like, eh, yeah, like stuck. What's it called? Like, when you're cognitive Lim- bias, like you're, uh, you're like yeah. stuck between two things. Yeah, it's hard. Okay, so there's a chapter in your book where you talk about falling in love at 17. Yeah. I had a high school boyfriend that was like, I had other boyfriends before that, but that was like, 
years long and the first person that I probably was like super in love with. So I could relate to the falling in love at 17 part. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. So he was two years older than me. So he was in university, didn't really know me, which was really beneficial for me. And how did you guys connect? Um, I'm trying to remember. Do you have him on Facebook today? No. Okay. He, so we dated for four years. I followed him to university. Mm. He was like my everything. I lost my virginity to him. Being Catholic, thought that meant we were going to get married. Mm. I have this whole other perspective about virginity now. Like since I was raised to believe that like your virginity is so sacred. Like I think, and I think I stayed in the relationship as long as I did because I was told my virginity was so sacred and like, Felt, like I can't just go be with somebody else. No, now. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Um, so anyway, stayed it for four years. It was like not the best relationship. And then he broke up with me on Facebook as soon as we graduated university. We started dating just before grade 12 prom. Broke up literally a month after we graduated university. So I made zero friends in university, <gasps> dedicated my whole life to being with him. He broke up with me on Facebook and I haven't seen him since. Haven't talked to him, haven't seen him, absolutely nothing. Is that in this area? He lives in this area. Oh, wow. How awkward. And his best friend's son is in my kids' kindergarten class. Oh. Right now. Maybe he's listening. Cheers. His wife just had a baby. Hey. She probably listens. (laughs) She's like, is this? Now everyone, (laughs) everybody who just had a baby is going to be like, fuck, is this my husband? (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> They're like, I know where she um, lives. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, this is awkward. So yes, Ooh. that is, uh, I never thought of it that way. So I think I was lucky in that we had broken up before university yeah. started. And then I went to Florida for university. It was like a whole thing. And then came back into town, started going to the local university. And then we were kind of like on and off for a while. And then eventually we just like ended it obviously but yeah I never thought of that piece of it where people get in these serious relationships and then you're not living those years as you would had you not been in a serious relationship I feel like I would have been like way less messed up had I had slept around during university right than stay with one single person and believe that like I was working towards us getting married. Like that was the end goal. So that breakup, because I know how I felt when we were like breaking up, getting back together, breaking up. And then finally it was like, no, we're not together. Like you feel like your life is over. Oh, I did. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember my parents being like, so sorry. Like they hated him. (laughs) Okay. They they really did not like him. But I like to be honest, like if your parents don't like the person that you're with, like, unless your parents, you know, you have issue with your yeah. parents, like, your parents are usually right. Yeah, but and but but the thing is, and I think this is kind of a smart move that most parents do, is they, they didn't have tell to, me. They have to, they, yep. they were They were always warm and welcoming and really kind to him. And I think in their head, they're like, she'll figure it out for herself. Yep. We don't push or she's going to move in with him and get pregnant. Like mm-hmm. she's just going to, yes. you know, like fast track it. Do the right? opposite. Yeah. yeah. So they were like, we'll yeah, just not say anything. Let's just let it happen. And it worked out exactly the way they That's wanted. My parents are the exact same <laughs> yeah. way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So marriage, 
we're jumping into different topics, but that's because I was going through her book and I I love these topics. (laughs) So marriage. Yes. How did your, and this is like a hot topic. Every time I talk about like relationship stuff after having kids, people just like gobble it up and they want to hear more. So how was your marriage or relationship affected after having kids? Yeah. How did it change? Everything changed. And Yeah. yeah, I opened one of the chapters in my book saying, if you think the first year of marriage is the hardest, mm-hmm. you're probably still in your first year of marriage because it gets so much fucking harder from there. And the thing is, like, you go through these adult things that happen, like a loss of a parent or issues with your job or a pandemic or financial stress. And you have to navigate all of that as two adults, but then throw in the needs of your kids on top of it and, like, lack of sleep. And it's a recipe for disaster. Like mm-hmm. my one of my cousins once told me, don't get divorced until your youngest is five. Like don't, don't. seriously ah, think okay. about getting divorced until your youngest is five because those are like the most difficult. demanding, difficult years. Like, of course, big kids, big problems. It gets harder. But there you're more like you're you're not struggling with the sleep and the chaos and all of that as much. Um yeah. so yeah, it it fucking shook things up. We're still struggling. I like that advice. <laughs> I I heard a stat once that most people well this is this goes against that but most people get a divorce when their kids start school so yeah. like kindergarten. I think because when you have little kids it's easier like to live with your partner I guess. Maybe not in some situations. Anyways, moving on. Um, <laughs> Do you guys sleep in the same bed? We haven't for like three years. Oh my God, yeah. samesies. Yeah, so my husband lives on the couch, <laughs> but it's like, we have three kids. We bought a king size bed at the beginning of the year thinking that it would make our sleeping arrangements more comfortable because they all come in the bed and it has not. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, we're at that period where kids are still crawling into our bed and- What are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, what are you going to do, right? We sleep separately and I always- And it's so funny because once I put out a TikTok about this, everybody was like, oh my God, me too, me too. There was like hundreds of thousands of comments. How did the insecure men feel about it? Oh my God, they (laughs) didn't find that one. That did not, that was not on their For You page. Um, I'm sure I, oh yeah, I've been called this week, like I'm toxic, I'm a narcissist, like all this stuff because I asked my husband to not make pancakes. (laughs) But anyways, I remember thinking one day Milo woke up and he came out of his room and, oh, I was in my, where my husband sleeps, my husband's room. <laughs> um, and I was making the bed or whatever. And Milo's like, mommy, why are you in daddy's room? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. He doesn't know any different. Yeah. It's like, we all like Milo has Milo's room. Yeah. Mommy has mommy's room. Daddy has daddy's room. And I was like. That's so interesting because I think back to being in elementary school and one of my friend's parents didn't sleep in the same room. And I was like, ooh, like they're going to get a divorce. Like they're getting a divorce. Yeah. And that was just like the stigma around not physically sleeping next to your partner. I think it's so much more normal. Like I would say out of most of my friends, a lot of them don't sleep in the same room as their husband, like their partner. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. And it's, to be honest, it's a luxury. Oh. Like some people are like, I wish I don't have the space. 
And I'm like, I feel for you. My husband and I have a trip plan to Miami. He's going to a conference. So yeah. I'm just going to go with him. We're in a hotel room and I'm like, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> like, I can't sleep yeah. next to you. Like, no offense, but like, I can't handle the breathing sounds. The yeah. I'm such a high maintenance sleeper since having a child. Yeah. I will say like, my husband and I every morning make a point of having coffee together and that is so much more valuable than us sleeping in the same bed together. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. When people like, you know, trolls on the internet that are like, oh, like your marriage is not going to last or whatever. Sleeping physically next to somebody is not what makes a good relationship. No. There's couples out there that sleep in the same bed together that fucking hate each other. Yeah. yeah. Like don't get it mixed up. Yeah. Do you find it difficult to make quality time? I did an episode not too long ago about feeling like your roommates with your romantic partner. Yeah. And like, that's one of the most popular episodes. And people are like, so how do we get out of that? How do we get out of that? And I'm like, guys, I'm trying to figure it out yeah. too. What is your take on that? Like, well, how do you guys? It's hard. It Honestly, especially when you don't have support. Yes. Um, do you have family nearby? We do. So there's my parents, but I have three kids. My parents are in their 60s and like my dad's getting his hip replaced and like it's, they can only do so, so much, much yeah. right? And then especially when you have a child who's neurodiverse, getting child care that can, I hate to use the word handle, but like navigate the complexities of that, yeah. deal with it appropriately. Like there is hardly anybody that I trust to come into my home and like help my kid navigate that. So one thing I found really valuable is we have a friend that we've made on our street within the last year and her in-laws live across the street from them. So these people have now become like honorary grandparents to our kids and they will take the kids once a month, like all five of our kids and us two couples will go out for dinner. Oh. So it's not that we're going out one-on-one, -on -one, like husband and wife, but it's actually kind of nice to do the date night with another couple and just like, it's, it feels lighter. Like there's not as much pressure to like enjoy each other. It also creates, like it sparks conversation that you and your partner that you've been living with forever yeah. would never really have. And I also find like, we went for dinner like a few weeks ago with Ariana and her husband and hi, Ariana. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, right? we were talking about like traveling and like where they have been. And like, yeah. if my husband and I went out for dinner, we would be like, oh yeah, Milo's starting basketball on Sunday. Yeah. Like, cool, 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 yeah. cool, cool. Like, and sometimes my husband and I will go out for dinner and I'll be like, is, are we okay? Like, what is happening? Yeah. Like the, sometimes we go and I'm like, this is us. This, we're still there. It still feels good. Sometimes we go out for dinner and the conversation feels forced and like... I'm like, I don't know what to say. I know. And I wonder, are, are we heading for divorce? Like, are is are we okay? And, and some people are like, well, that's beautiful. It means you're comfortable like being no. silent. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> no. know. Like, I get it for some things. Like, yeah. we don't feel like we have to like fill the dead air yeah. at all. But... Sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm like, I want to talk about something, but I'm like, huh, eh, like I just don't. Yeah, but I don't want to talk about work and I don't want to talk about kids. And what else do we have right now? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's nice to go out with other people and them 
bring other aspects of things into the conversation. Yeah. And I find also if both partners have a life somewhat outside of the house and outside of the kids and, you know, they bring that to the table to be able to talk about too. Yeah. Um, But my husband's an engineer, so that is really boring. My husband's a doctor. Okay. Sometimes my husband has fun stories. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. He's a urologist. (laughs) But... I know. And even for me, like what I do, I'm like, oh my God, like this person shared my stuff. Like, look at this. Like, I'm, uh. yeah. And, and it's like, he's, that's not his world. Like, he thinks it's fun, but I know. Yesterday, Sean Desmond like reposted something I tagged him in. And I like called Dave. I was like, Sean Desmond just reposted me. And he was like, who is that? <laughs> That's like, okay. um, my husband didn't know who Silver Chair was. Do you know Silver Chair? No. Oh, frick off. I'm sorry. How old are you? 33. Okay, I'm 37. So I think it makes sense that you might not know yeah. who they are. Do you have an older sibling? No. Okay, no. so that makes yeah. sense. You're off the hook. Okay, my you. husband, though, he's my age. Like, not acceptable. <laughs> not acceptable. He's like, Silver, what? And he didn't know who Dave Grohl was. I was oh, like, okay, that's a big one. That's a big one. That's a big one, Doesn't yeah. matter how old you yeah. are. Milo probably knows yeah. who Dave Grohl is. He was on Sesame Street. Yeah. Like, give me a break. Okay, so advice for couples out there who are like, like you said, you do your morning oh coffee. Yes, yeah. And uh, that... To be honest, when my husband and I actually sit and have coffee or in the evenings, like sit, I'm like, wow, that was so nice. Yeah. Like just talking about like random things yeah. and yeah. You know what I saw the other day though? It was just like if your marriage is like falling apart, get a hot tub. Apparently like just sitting in the hot tub at the end of the Something night is do. like a really nice thing to do. So I don't know. We got a fire table and like a little patio thing and we'll sit out there sometimes, but we binge shows together. Like, mm. that's our thing. Even if we're not talking together, we're sitting there eating our chips and our popcorn and having our, like, Looking at yeah. the same thing. And for some reason, like, if my husband pulls out his phone, I'm like, what are you looking at? Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, we're watching our show. Yeah. <laughs> Put your phone away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to post that clip on TikTok and people are just going to mm. be her poor husband. Here we go again. It's Sounds all about her. Like, you're so selfish. I know. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So do you guys watch reality TV or so like dramas? I do. Okay. We are, we we're watching The Crown right now, but okay. um, we did Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like we tried to, I can't watch heavy stuff because of my mental health. So we do like light stuff. We like do Seinfeld from the beginning and go through the whole oh, series. Yeah. So stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. I love that. We like to laugh. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. 
The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Let's talk about stay-at-home mom life. Mm -hmm. It's something that I talk a lot about, even though I'm not a stay-at-home mom, because my experience in quarantine was that of a stay-at-home mom times 10. Yeah. But I also think all the things that I experienced in quarantine and had struggled with are things that stay-at-home, I'm going to say parents, but for the most part, I think it's moms, struggle with regardless of... Like even when they're not in quarantine, you know what I mean? And so when I was in quarantine and going through all these different things, I was like, oh my God, people probably live like this all the time. And it's so hard and it's so hard to verbalize and vocalize why you're pissed off and why you're in a bad mood. And, you know, you don't want to be like, I fucking hate staying home with the kids. Like, It's really hard to navigate and I feel for people. So what was your experience as a stay-at-home mom? Yeah, so one thing I will say is, and I I wrote a post about this when it first happened, is that being a stay-at-home mom versus being home with your kids during the pandemic, like when I was a stay-at-home mom, there was Mother Goose that I could go to or the drop-in programs or swimming. You have relationships and things to do, yeah. I had things to get out of the house and do. And that makes it a little bit easier. Like, don't get me wrong. It's still hard as shit. It's still lonely. It's still isolating. But the pandemic was nothing like being a stay-at-home mom. Like, it was absolute hell. For me, being a stay-at-home mom, man, like, I look back now and I'm so grateful that I had those years. I also look back and, like, my daughter's been in a home daycare since she was 18 months old. My boys never went to daycare. Mm. And I do wish I put them in something earlier because the creativity that I have now, like, the the self-expression, like, the things that I'm doing now bring me so much joy, make me feel so much more level-headed. Where before I was, like, struggling with postpartum depression, 
angry, resentful, mm. tired, like just not my best self. It does not feel good to feel that no. way. And I drank a lot. Like yeah. I would meet up with girlfriends that lived either on my street or within walking distance. And we would literally like have midday drinks. To- I shouldn't even say this. Oh my God. Someone's going to take my kids away. No. Um, <laughs> but like we would have midday drinks together to just like get yeah, through the day. Wine culture. Yeah. yeah. Something to look um, forward to. Yeah. And now I'm like, man, I'm like I'm too tired to have a glass of wine. I can't do that. But it, it was not. It was hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard. And it's also like this shame feeling because you're like, ah, no, motherhood is supposed to be very fulfilling and such a blessing. I get to stay home with my kids. And so you have these like mixed emotions of like, I should be really happy and this should be like the best time of my life. And why am I not enjoying this? Well, because no one spends that much time with somebody and enjoys it. Yes. Like, it's just, and it's, it's impossible. Hard. It's emotionally hard. It's physically hard. Yeah. It's mentally hard. And then, as we have seen this past week on TikTok, if you talk about it and you're like, I did not enjoy this, yeah. people will shit all over you. Oh, yeah. Like, and someone once told me that I don't hit my kids enough and that's, why they're like sound advice, right? Like <laughs> you're just like kids these days aren't hit enough. And like your house is a disaster because you don't tell your kids to clean up after each other. And this is disrespect and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. like, no, <laughs> I know. Right. The, the, yeah. the stuff, the people, some people's children, let's just put it that way. Cause all these people are somebody's children yeah. and men are unwell yeah. on TikTok. I've started responding to people being with numbers to like therapists and hotlines. <laughs> hotlines. Literally being like, if you need help, like you're, yeah. <laughs> talk about your traumas here. Like I don't need to don't be fixing your trauma. onto me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Something I wanted to ask you about because I just think it's fascinating and okay. I, I don't know much about Is this it. This is the one that I think I know what's coming. I'm nervous the about MLM. it. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous about this. Why? Is it like a... Oh my God, let's marketing? get into it. Okay. You're nervous? A little... I am. Okay. I feel like because I have so many friends that work in the oh, industry... Okay. Let me just put this out there right now. There are good and bad yes. to everything. Yeah. Okay? Like not everybody is going to excel at something and find it to be like beneficial for their lives. Some yeah. people find it the complete opposite and that's okay. Yeah. It's just a conversation. So Okay. Please yeah. don't be mad. I'm wearing Arbon makeup right now. So I'm yeah. I'm just going to say that. With that being said, I don't know what it's like now when people are having kids, but as soon as I became pregnant, every single person that was in multi-level marketing that I had passed in the street Mm -hmm. sent me a message on Facebook asking if I wanted to start my own business. Maybe I just missed the messages. Why didn't I get invited? Okay. I don't know. I'm... I, I'm a little bit offended. I'm but. sorry, guys. <laughs> slide into her DMs. <laughs> I'm shocked you haven't gotten any. No, I think people try to sell me stuff. Yeah, but I have never been asked. Maybe I have, and I just ignored it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It just it felt like everyone was like, "This is how you get to stay home with your kids and make residual income," which is a word I fucking hate. Residual, what does that mean? Residual income, passive income. Okay. Income without doing anything and the money just flows to you. And like, 
and this is part comes along with like losing yourself is I went to university for geography because I thought being a teacher was like the path in life. I never knew I could be a writer. No one was ever like working moms, let alone create like writers. There's Carrie Bradshaw that I could look up to, but like she didn't have kids. Like there was no one else I could look to in this sort of career that was successful. So I went to be a teacher. Teacher's college didn't work out because I have ADHD and like didn't get good enough grades. So I went into the environmental industry and I forget where I was going with this, the MLM. So I didn't want to go back to that career. It wasn't fulfilling. I didn't like it. I started panicking and I was like, how am I going to make money at home? Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. What am I going to do? So I bought hundreds of dollars worth of essential oils and tried to figure out what ailments they cured and all and like did not buy into the crap at all. You know, like they're great for cleaning products and all of this stuff, but they like they smell great. They smell great. I love them. I have them. But once you get into that world, like I had to spend a monthly minimum in order to like make a certain amount of commission and then I was I didn't make any money. No one wanted to be friends with me because they thought I was going to try to recruit them into the industry. And I find and believe that there's a lot of preying on vulnerable moms who want to be home with their kids. I think the like red flag is that, and that's why they're so heavy into recruiting because like, isn't it like, like I did multi-level modeling statistically like like as a stats yeah. analysis so i imagine it's like this person up here recruits these people who recruit these people yeah. it just never ends yeah and it's like you have to fake it till you make it yeah. so everyone's talking about how they're going to like get their lexus or their mercedes or you know like they're posting a, a check that's been redacted so you can't see how much money that they've made but they're hashtag blessed and like this check is giving them that extra income they need to stay home. But no one's being transparent mm. about like what that income is. Because they want to recruit people. So they're making exactly. it look, yeah. But again, like I do have friends that work in the industry that have never pushed their product on me. I buy the product because I enjoy it. And there are people that are good at it and yeah, enjoy it's not, it. It's not a blanket no. statement, but things like this happen in this Career. And I think if you've watched the Lula Row, I haven't seen that. So what platform is that on? Netflix. Okay. It is like basically everything we're talking about right now, but like really gives you the inside look of how many moms like literally got themselves into financial ruin because they thought by buying up inventory and sending gift packages and writing little notes and dropping it off on people's porches with like a free gift would help them build their business and be successful. And and the worst part is they promise a sisterhood. And so many moms mm. are looking for that sisterhood. Mm. And it's like, I'm very passionate about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how long were you? I did it for six months. Okay. And, and then you were like, this is. And my husband, who is the engineer and like totally rational man, was just like, okay, I'm going to let, like, not let me. Okay, you know what I mean? But he's like, we're just going to let her go through this. <laughs> that sounds like Have my husband. her breakdown and then like I'll be there for her on the other side. And that's exactly what happened. Like I was still writing through it and I just realized this isn't for me. Like mm-hmm. I can't, I don't, it feels yucky. And if I think it feels yucky, I'm just not going to do it. So I stopped. I know you have done lots of things for yourself 
to kind of heal yourself from Mm -hmm. things that have happened in the past and like experiences. And one of those things that you mentioned in the book was starting medication. I'm very open about, I've been on anxiety medication for a long time, which is actually an antidepressant, but they use- Which one is it? Citalopram. Okay. So- they use antidepressants to treat anxiety mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And it works great. Like actually life-changing, yeah. quality of life, insanely improved. Like, And so what are some other things that you do day-to-day or once in a while? Like have you been to therapy? Like what are things that you do to kind of maintain yeah. your mental health. Oh boy, I should go to therapy more. <laughs> I've never done it and you I think I should. It? Yeah. It's really good. It's it's helped me navigate a lot of like the childhood trauma stuff. I have started meditating. Mm. Like I find podcasts, like just uplifting podcasts, meditating, writing, like having a career has actually been very the therapeutic for me. I am nervous going into the fall because I do not do well in the wintertime. I can already feel myself like trending downward. So I'm probably going to have to up my medication. Have you tried those lights? No. Do they work? I don't know. Yeah, no. But I think light. Do you listen to the Huberman podcast at all? No. Anyways, he has all this stuff about how important like daylight is. And you know how our winter, like where we live In the winter, it'll start to get dark at like 5 p.m. So if you're someone that works in an office or like I was in school all the time and then I would go to walk to my car at the end of the day and it's already pitch black. It's dark when you go to school. Yeah. Yes. It's dark when you go to school and then it's dark when you go to go home. And that can really, I think, negatively affect people. Yeah. So they do have these lights that he recommends. I'll have to and try he's one. Fucking smart guy. So <laughs> I'll try one. I'll report back and yeah, let you know if it works. We'll look on Amazon. And yeah, you can just like while you're doing your work, just yeah. like shine it on you. Yeah. But yeah. So meditation, how has that been? Because that's something also that I would like to get into. Yeah. So I do like meditation and manifestation. So I do a lot of like I'll meditate and then I'm gonna sound like a cuckoo. <laughs> I talk to my spirit guides. <laughs> Who are they? Hi. I don't know. Are they here right now? I don't. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Gabby Bernstein. She really, like her podcast really started turning my life around last year when I was struggling. And she does these like spirit guide meditations. So I decided to try them. And anytime I do them, I ball my eyes out. I, it's very bizarre. I don't know where it comes from. I get so overwhelmed with emotion. And it just feels like this like giant weight is lifted off of my shoulders. So I do that like once a week. But I've created... Oh, there's a fly here. It's Hi. my spirit guide. <laughs> Hello, is that you? <laughs> um, okay. Anyways... I have like crystals and salt lamps and just like set, that's what they say is supposed to help you. So mm-hmm. I've just like set all this shit up in my room and that hang is, out there with some quiet That's totally time. me. Like um, I, I love jumping on bandwagons. Yeah, like. yeah. And then also affirmation cards. So I pull like a card every morning and I make it my mandate for the day. And then I have little affirmations that pop up on my phone with a timer and it'll be like, okay, I have to stop right now and say like, I am grateful for life or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Like just trying to be more cognitively aware of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I but, love that. but meds is like my, my number one. <laughs> well, and I think 
there is something to be said about if you are struggling enough, like I don't want to say like if you're struggling like so severely, I don't know how to word it properly, you likely will not have the benefits from something like meditation. um, Exactly. Even therapy. Like a lot of times if somebody is really struggling, therapists, psychologists, whatever, will have people kind of level out on medication so that they can even like reap the benefits of going through therapy. So that's like... So I did, I was... Anti-meds for me, pro-meds for everybody else. Yeah. And then... As many people are. I was terrified of them. And I did everything in my... Hot yoga. I hate yoga. I hate... Not that I hate yoga. I hate being hot. Mm -hmm. So like I just... I did everything. And then I made a plan. A suicide plan. I got to a really bad place. And then Kate Spade lost her life to mental illness. Oh, I remember you telling me this. Yeah. And I was like, okay... Where's that line and how close am I to crossing it? Mm-hmm. And will I be in control when I get there? And I looked at my boys and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this to them. And that's when I started medication. And I have to say, like, my first med was Zoloft. I had a rare reaction to it. And I write about this in the book because I think it's really important to be honest that, like, your first med isn't going to be the med for you. Some people have to try a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It sent me into a manic episode where I literally was like in the corner of my room shaking because I wanted to crawl out of my skin. Like I, I didn't, I didn't react well to it. So called my doctor, stopped the medication right away, changed over to Ciprolex. And it was like night and day, night and day. And I was like, there I am. Like it didn't change me. It, it like, I became so rational mm-hmm. and it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like even keel. That's what I say. Like I still get anxiety, but in very appropriate situations. As you should still get anxiety. Totally. Yeah. So it's not like it just like numbs me and I'm like, like, no, I remember specifically waiting in line at, in the States, it's the DMV. I don't know what we call it here, like service Ontario, whatever, (laughs) to just pick up my new license or whatever I was doing. I had to change my address, whatever. And like, raging anxiety. Like I was going to just like leave the lineup and go home because I was terrified to go up to the counter and have them just ask me basic questions like, okay, what's your new address? Like I was like, I physically can't speak the answers. Like like if I had to go through customs at the airport. Oh my God, I think they're (laughs) going to find cocaine. And I like, it terrifies me. As soon as they were like, okay, like what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, like, why are you coming back into yeah. Ottawa or something? And I'm like, oh, like, I go to school here. What school do you go to? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, what's your PhD in? And now they're just actually interested. Yeah. Like, oh, what do you do in psychology? And I'm like, I can't talk. <laughs> Don't ask me any more questions. Just let me go home. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. We are out of time, but this okay. was a great conversation. Tell everybody where they can find you online. Yeah. Also about your book, where they can get it. Can we order it on a website? Is it going to be on Amazon? It's Tell so us all the things. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Chapters, Indigo, Cool. Wow. Yeah, 14 countries. So I don't know what they are, but... <laughs> 14 of them. It'll be 14 of them. You can follow me on Instagram at Annie Lawton underscore. I noticed you have an underscore in yours too. Yes, I do. Too. Somebody took Renee I Arena. Know. And honestly, I clicked on the profile and it's just like this young girl. And I was like, should I pay her to just have that handle? Yeah. Like, is that weird? No, but maybe she'll give it to you for free. Maybe, maybe I should ask nicely. Ask her. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, at Annie Lawton underscore and then AnnaliseLawton.com is where you can like find all of the stuff I'm doing. And the book comes out October 1st. October 1st. And what's it called again? Welcome to the Jungle, a frantic journey through motherhood and self-discovery. Welcome to the jungle. I yeah. <laughs> we have fun. Yes. <laughs> so you know Guns and Roses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't think of the name. Oh my god, Axel Rose. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're welcome for singing that <laughs> song. But yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. And thanks for letting me come to your house. Thank you. I I appreciate <laughs> and it. And set up all this. Love shit. it. It looks great. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. Ha <laughs> ha!